15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico's. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money? Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics Done Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. Well, we are starting the show today without that good music because you know what? In preparing the show, believe it or not, I simply forgot to cue the music. I simply forgot to cue the music. And as, as, as everybody knows now, I am here in Washington, D.C. I had to fly out here to take care of my daughter who is recovering from some, uh, a little, a few little, few little things that came about after her stroke in January. She has a few things that went, that we had to take care of. So we flew here. And you know what? She was kind enough to give me a nice setup here in a corner in her apartment. So that we could run what Ashley politics politics done right. Anyhow, folks, please thank you so kindly, everybody, for being here. Welcome aboard, Michael Rodney. It's great seeing you here. It's great seeing you here, and uh, we are about to get started. Nanette Bird Smith, Nanette Bird Smith, welcome aboard. Folks, we have a very important show for you today. After I do a little bit of my ranting, but we are going to get busy today. Anyhow, where do I start? Um, we're, we're out of Washington, D.C., and that is why you don't see all the flashy things that we normally have when we're in studio. We have a makeshift studio here, but we are getting it done. AVQ, welcome aboard. What is the subject of the show today? Professor says, not so fast on student loan forgiveness, election 2020, and GOP hypocrisy. That is the subject of the show today. There is more. Bridge MCP, Ashley is doing fine. Let me tell you, uh, Ashley, uh, I t- you know what? I better just start about uh, tell- telling a little bit of the story. For those who don't know, uh, I'll tell you the story. For those who know, forgive me for repeating myself. Back in January of uh, this year, my daughter, 28-year-old at the time, uh, had a, a stroke. She had something known as an AVM, a little set of uh, uh, veins in, uh, veins and, artic- or, and, uh, and arteries in her brain that busted. We never knew it was there. It was a malformation. Uh, something caused it to burst. She got a stroke. She lost half her vision and she had a slight leg drop and slight weakness on the, on, on the um, left side. Well, uh, she came out of that and she did great real fast. I was very proud of her because she did not stop, even as she was in trouble. She wanted to go to school. She wanted to do everything that, you know, uh, she's in med school and she didn't want to miss a day of med school, but she had to miss two months. But it turned out that she was able to do it in a manner that it didn't slow down how she got out there. Well, anyhow, uh, she's been catching up and catching up over these last few months. And I got a call on Friday, not a call, a text on Friday that said, Dad, it took me uh, took me 20 minutes to put my earrings in, five minutes to put on my shoes. I cried. 
And that's all dad needed to hear because I knew she had told me she started to have a few deficits, meaning after that, that uh, gamma surgery on her brain, they said this could happen, that she could get some deficits. It hadn't really occurred immediately. It started to occur. She saw it. I got worried about what, you know, the condition she was in. Uh, I was on the next flight out of Houston to D.C. to make sure to take care of my girl. Got here. She is. Uh, she does have some deficits on the left side. No, little control of her left arm, left leg, and she had a slight drop on her face. You guys saw her on the show a few days ago. But again, she. Uh, the thing about it is, she's doing a lot better. She started. She started to go ahead and handle her own. Um, what, what do you call that? Her her, her her own physical therapy. And in two days of doing her physical therapy, she really started to show improvement on her left side. I'm so proud of the young woman. I can't tell you, but I, I, I tell you what it also showed me. It also showed me how terrible our healthcare system is because uh, she needed to go see her neurologist, not the surgeon, but the neurologist just to see what course they should take with these deficits that she's having. And the next appointment to see that person is in the 20 something of December. We talk about not wanting socialized medicine. We talk about all oh, socialized medicine cause rationing, etc. The rationing occurs right now. She has insurance from her, or her school. The school, of course, has to attempt to keep their healthcare costs low. In the attempt to keep their healthcare costs low, they get a managed plan. And this managed plan has two neuro, neuro, neurologists in there, two of them. So therefore, ex- things are extended, and that is a that is in an antiseptic manner of rationing healthcare. In if you had a good social safety net with good healthcare, the fact that in this area there are hundreds of neuro- neurologists, you could actually have found her an appointment likely in two or three days, if not immediately. But because of capitalism, because of the way we work in this system, that is the reason why healthcare does not work in the private sector. The private sector should be for doctors. The private sector should be for certain types of hospitals, etc. The management of paying for these bills should not be. Single payer is the only way because we create false scarcities. And in creating false scarcities, what you get is what we call those uh, is rationing and all that comes with it so that a few people can make a whole lot of money. I'm off of my soapbox. I'm off of my soapbox. And let's go ahead and get busy with the show. First part of the show. Let me let me first tell you, these are the topics. Right wing host about Trump had the following to say about Trump. Uh, we are held hostage by a petulant, bitter, narcissistic, and delusional man. As second topic, a Republican did not mince her words. This is not a political party anymore. It is an authoritarian band of thugs. Third topic, Professor Tribe calls uh, but Trump enabler Ken Starr as a promoter of election conspiracy BS. And he called it BS Live on Air. Then the fifth topic, here is a message to my right-wing brothers and sisters. Here is how Trump insisting, uh, is, 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 is issue, uh, rather, how Trump is using you, dirty screen, how Trump is using you with fraud. 
And then we'll have Dr. Thais, a political science professor at Lone Star, has a present message on student loan forgiveness policy progressives must heed. So let's go ahead and get busy with that right-wing host. Let's go for it. I want you to listen to Charlie Sykes because Charlie Sykes is a Republican and to other Republicans, he may have a bit more of a stature for them. Check this out and then we'll take it on the other side. Let's start, start with the transition. There is a lot that Kate is trying to get around there by saying that they already have an experienced team in place. They're adding more experience. And they can do a lot because of all that experience. But Charlie, um, without getting the GSA to uh, hand them over the transition resources, without the president of the United States acknowledging that Joe Biden has won, there's going to be limitations and not only what they can do um, fiscally and functionally, but, but the kind of trust that they can build with the American public. Yeah, I, I have to say that Kate uh, lowered my blood pressure a little bit there, but uh, it is ironic and tra- potentially tragic that we are being held hostage by this petulant, bitter, narcissistic, and delusional man that, that everybody is standing back and going, well, we need to be concerned about Donald Trump's feelings here while we're in the middle of a pandemic and an economic crisis. Look, um, um, I, I do think that the Biden folks have something going for them. They have a lot of experience. They have a lot of knowledge. They're not coming in as amateurs. So they, they start you know, with, a, with a head start. But if anything about this delay impacts national security or interferes with the distribution of the vaccine, then it is that it's, that it's criminal negligence on the part of the administration. So I know that Republicans are sitting back and they've gotten sort of used to enabling this president and rationalizing this president. And I think that they are waiting for the off ramp. But it would have been easier, I think, for them to have cut the cord early on, because if this becomes a litmus test now of loyalty, that you have to pretend that he didn't lose the election, that you have to look the other way while he uh, delays this this transition, then things are going to go from from bad to worse. And I'm I'm hoping that there are saner voices in in the White House, I won't say in the president's ear, but are pushing him to say, look, you need to acknowledge reality here. There's a country to run. There are human lives to be saved. Now, it's important. It is important that we make those who have been the sycophants to the president, those who have been the enablers, they must pay the price because it's shown that even after the president has been repudiated by most Americans, that they are willing to continue to support and not only support, but to, to work with all the bad deeds that this president has to offer. So they have to pay the price. And you know where that begins? That begins in Georgia. That begins with the two sycophants in Georgia, the two senators in Georgia, the two Republican senators in Georgia that must be ousted in order to start bringing back sanity to governance in this country. Georgia, Georgia, Georgia should be the beginning. Absolutely so. Georgia, Georgia, Georgia. I think the problem with the levels, um, uh, uh, Bridget, uh, I guess, AVQ, is because of the mic. We don't have all the leveling right here. You know, we have two separate powerful laptops, but they're not quite uh, sync 
Again, we're still trying to get this. We're going to be transmitting all week from DC, so um, we, we'll see. But again, I, I think there, there's a. I, I probably need to reduce the volume of the mic so that then we can get everything up. Okay, second second video coming up now. Let's get busy. Here's one of the most prescient uh, recognition of what the GOP continues to represent and an example as to why it is that Joe Biden better not do the same thing that many other Democrats do. Check this out and then we'll take it on the other side. The entire party almost is behind the president as he tries to steal, tries and fails to steal an election. It's outrageous and they have been his enablers from the very beginning. They stood by him uh, with his, you know, they enabled his uh, violent rhetoric. They enabled his actual violence on the streets of Washington, D.C., his racism, his white nationalism, his open attacks on key democratic institutions in this country, the free press, the Department of Justice, the courts, the election itself. And so, you know, the story is we shouldn't buy into this Joe Biden line. They'll have an epiphany after he's gone. No, this is who they are. We call them the GOP. There's nothing grand about them. A new study out today out of Sweden says that they're more uh, authoritarian or as authoritarian as the Hungarian party of government, of Viktor Orban, as, as the Turkish government. Yeah, this is this. I want to this, this study that was written up in the Washington Post today about sort of this authoritarian trend lines in public opinion among Republican voters here. And I think this is, is really worrying. I think, you know, one of the things, Jennifer, that is really striking me about the modern GOP in the Trump era is that it views itself fundamentally as a kind of minority minority movement in some ways, like, or, 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 or that if democracy gives it the wrong answer, then the worst for democracy. It's not like this sort of expansive, from a political perspective, like Nixon and Reagan, I think, who are, we don't have to get into the substance of them, had a political vision that like, we can win a majority of Americans, and we will do that and we will govern. This idea that like, well, if we can't win, well, then the worst for democracy. This is the exact um, game plan of a group who doesn't have a message, doesn't have a majority. They're part of a diminishing demographic. And so they do what people who can't win in a democracy do, and that is they become authoritarian. They begin to undermine democracy. It's their only hope. That's what voter suppression is about. That's what um, disinformation is about. That's what attack on uh, institutions is all about. That you slowly, slowly increase power by simply running over the lines of democracy and you intimidate, bully people, and this is how a non-representative minority stays in power. First of all, though, it is not about they just want to be a minority government. In other words, government by the minority. They actually want to be right. They want to be in power, irrespective of minority, majority. Numbers don't matter in their case. Policy does. If you take a look at the policies that they represent, it doesn't matter who wants the policy. It just matters whether the policy is that the policy of this oligarchy, this uh, this type of oligarchy driven by the the Koch brothers and others. So again, democracy doesn't matter. And whenever they talk democracy, or even when they try to tailor minority, sort of minority rule with democratic republic, oh America 
America is not a democracy. America is a democratic republic. What the hell does that mean if that representative democracy is driven by borders that ensure that a minority rules? Makes no sense. That is what they represent, and that is what we have to do in starting in Georgia to make sure we mitigate it by extricating that type that type of ideology from the entire government of the United States. We spend a lot of time. Absolutely so. Now let's listen to how Tribe, Professor Tribe, has to, what he has to say to uh, Ken Starr relative to the election 2020. It was a beauty. Check this out. One wonders why would professionals who have had stellar careers run the risk of destroying it all for a person called Donald Trump supporting him listen watch Ken Starr here and watch exactly what it means to be an enabler a sycophant and a dangerous check this out but luckily he was rebutted but not only rebutted but looked silly in the process check this out Twelve days after the election, President Trump still refuses to concede or to begin the transition to President-elect Biden. But so far, at least, his legal challenges to the vote count have had little success. Professor Tribe, before we get into specific cases, what do you think of President Trump's overall effort to litigate the election and to hold up the transition in the meantime? I think his overall effort is dangerous, even though we know it's going to fail. The Republicans themselves know that President Trump's claims that Biden's votes were fraudulent are without merit, because if those claims were true, then those Republicans, too, would have been elected fraudulently or mistakenly, because they were the same ballots. Now, if we know that Trump is going to lose in the courts, and we do, why should we care? The reason we should care is that he is undermining democracy, because there are millions of people who will believe him, even though there is nothing in his arguments and no evidence to back them. Let me bring in Judge Starr, a Department of Homeland Security Committee of federal, state, and local officials issued a statement this week. I want to put some of it up on the screen. They called the election the most secure in American history and said there is no evidence that any voting system deleted or lost votes, changed votes, or was in any way compromised. Judge, what do you think of the president's effort to hold up the transition while he litigates the election vote counts? It's a very important process, and what we've just heard from uh, the distinguished uh, Professor Tribe, I think, is an, uh, gives new meaning to rhetorical hyperbole. Our system is designed to check. Let's check it out. And a lawsuit was filed just on Wednesday in, in Michigan. Let's let this process run. A lawsuit was just filed by the legendary Lynn Wood in Georgia. Don't mess with Lynn Wood. Let's find out. In the United States, we allow the jury to hear all the evidence and that's what's happening right now don't rush to judgment <clears throat> it's important especially given the fact that so many tens of americans feel right now 
disenfranchised. So let's get the facts in. Allow this litigation to run its course. Just as in Bush v. Gore, it ran for 37 days. Mm -hmm. Professor Tribe, you say that uh, President Trump's lawsuits are less than frivolous. Is there any legal merit to what you just heard Judge Starr say? Absolutely none. He says that what I've been saying gives new meaning to hyperbole. What he's been saying gives new meaning to, dare I say it, BS. There's nothing in any of these lawsuits. He says, let the jury speak. The jury of an unprecedented magnitude, 160 million Americans, has spoken. You can file lawsuits till the cows come home. And there's no end to it, but it's nothing like Bush v. Gore. There, they were recounting, not just counting, and there was a 537 vote margin. And when the U.S. Supreme Court said it's time to stop the recounting in accord with the law of Florida, I didn't agree with that, but that at least was a legal judgment. What's being asked for now is simply to undermine the belief of tens of millions of people in the conclusion that President Trump's own Department of Homeland Security reached after looking more closely than any of these courts possibly can at all the ballots, all the processes, and concluded that it was the most secure election in American history. It's time to move on. We know that Trump won't. He's going to be out there yelling and screaming and complaining. Now, what is important to notice what Ken Starr had to say? Two things. Specifically, the first one he said is that there are millions of people that feel disenfranchised. Millions of Americans feel disenfranchised. But why do they feel disenfranchised? They feel disenfranchised because Donald Trump and his sycophants and his enablers have told them that all those mail-in ballots somehow were fraudulent. Something that is done in Colorado and many other states, mail-in ballots are legal. We are in a pandemic and we are a democracy we should still want everybody to have that option to vote and that's what they did and to call that somehow an infringement on democracy or an infringement on the electoral process it's really really sad but moreover we have to realize that what donald trump did by forcing his people encouraging his people to vote in 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 person by being correlated with others what he really did was became a super spreader and we're living through that we're living through what he has done with the disease out of control etc etc but one other thing that that star said that is very dangerous take a listen to him let the process work bring all these things to court and introducing touch-free payments from paypal a safe way for your customers to pay simply download the paypal app and display your own unique qr code for your customers to scan whether you're a market seller i'll take two tomatoes and a cucumber poodle pamperer <laughs> piano tuner or plumber Signing up to accept touch-free payments for your business is easy. Touch-free QR code payments. Shop safe with PayPal. Now serving F27 at DMV window number 16. Okay, Rose, we're second in line. Perfect, Rose. You remembered the birth certificate? Yes, and we have our electric bill. Excellent. We'll be Real ID ready in no time. Real ID ready to visit our grandson Ricky at Fort Bragg, then fly to New Orleans for Jazz Fest. Pardon me, are you talking to yourself? I'm sorry. I guess I am. Talk yourself into Real ID readiness by May 3rd, 2023. 
Make a plan at dhs.gov slash real ID. Let the judges decide. Several months ago, I wrote, I, I, I did the tape that talked about, or the video that talked about minority control via the usage of the Fed, of the court system. Donald Trump has packed the courts with a whole lot of sycophants, and the expectations are that what's going to happen going forward is that we'll have democratic laws passed and that those judges will go against the will of the people claiming that judiciary superiority. We have to be very careful, and it starts now. And it starts now. And it starts now. Anyhow, last video before we go to Dr. Thais is going to be about uh, uh, a message to my right-wing brothers and sisters. And I see quite a few of you are on right now. So uh, I have a message. Please think about this, and then we'll take it on the other side. I have a message for my conservative brothers and sisters, my right-wing brothers and sisters, those who are invested, those who are vested in Donald Trump. Uh, please listen to this. I know it's not from the network that you worship, but remember this. You can do the research on your own. Here's the raw material. Go look it up yourself. But my brothers and sisters on the right, you should be. Don't continue to let this guy con you. Check this out. Remember, the voting, it's it was not it was not a fraud. Check this out. We told you last night about voter fraud. We don't know its extent. We know that it happened. Dead people voted, quite a number of them. Many Americans do not believe that this election was fair. And make no mistake, every American has a right to feel that way. I feel that way. It's a corrupt and an embarrassing disgrace. Trump supporters continue peddling false election fraud claims. The president himself still posting conspiracy theories on social media. But his own Department of Homeland Security issued this pretty blunt statement tonight. Quote, the November 3rd election was the most secure in American history. There's no evidence that any voting system deleted or lost votes, changed votes, or was in any way compromised. Now, that was from Donald Trump's own DHS, Department of Homeland Security. Now, here's the other deal, folks, and this is very important. Donald Trump needs to keep you in a frenzy about this election being a fraud because he has a little bit more time in the White House and he wants your money. He wants to tell you, I am going to need your money to help us win this election. He knows it's over. There was no fraud, but he's using you as a cash cow. He's using you as a bank. But Donald Trump is still playing his game, the game called other people's money. And he is playing that game in a nonstop barrage of emails to his supporters and to people who are not his supporters with subject lines that sound like the lyrics of sad love songs like i need you right now and then there's we need you now more than ever and there's what's it all about and there's the totally unbelievable here's the truth that's actually the subject line of a trump email here's the truth and there's the most direct one of all which is can you chip in which answers the question that the other Trump email, what's it all about, asks. It is about raising money for Donald Trump. 
That is what everything Donald Trump does for the rest of his life will be about. It's what everything he did previously in his life has always been about. Donald Trump is running a hustle on the most gullible voters in history, asking them to send him money to fight the results of an election that has already been decided. And the only people in America who could fall for that are Trump voters. Donald Trump today is still sending out many emails and texts to supporters. Uh, As we've been discussing, they're requesting money that they say are for lawsuits, but the money isn't going there. You need to know this. The fine print reveals 60% of these newly requested donations are for Save America, which is the new PAC that will fund, under the law, these things are regulated, the ex-presidency activities. The other 40% goes right to the RNC after a donor gives over $5,000. Only then does any of the money go to what is called the recount account. Um, the reason he's doing it is because he has no income. And you would see that if you would turn over right. his tax returns. There's no income there, right? So he doesn't have the apprentice the- making $65 million a year. Most of his assets right. are under are underperforming. They're they're non-performing assets. The few that he has doesn't cover the big cost. So he's going to use this like he used the Trump Foundation as a slush fund. And like he conned people with his university, etc. I know my brothers and sisters on the right have a hard time believing this because that is the guy that has gotten you passionate about something. All I'm saying, welcome to the fold, man. This guy is using you. You don't have to change your ideology. You don't have your change. You don't have to change your party to understand that this guy is toxic, not only to us progressives, but to those of you who are genuine, genuinely honest conservatives, genuinely honest right-wing evangelicals, whatever you are. Don't allow this guy to corrupt you and use you like he has. He's already become a super spreader by having you believe masks are no good and that we can somehow have mass immunity by having herd immunity. Herd immunity depends on you. Uh, Assume that when you get infected, somehow it makes you immune. We don't know that. But again, please don't let him use you. Please don't let him kill you. Please don't let him make you broke. Please don't let him get you in jail. Please don't let him do all these things to you because he doesn't care about you. And as much as you're not, you may not be a progressive, my right-wing brothers and sisters, my conservative brothers and sisters, I do care about you. You know, because I believe in one America. But please, stop believing in this guy. Welcome to one more edition of Politics and Radamic. Berto Willis, your host. Today, I'm honored to speak with uh, Dr. John Thais. He is a professor at uh, Lone Star College. He also runs a center for, I forgot the name. What's the name of? Civic Engagement. The Center of Civic Engagement. I mean, uh, this guy is one of the stalwarts in our community, both for uh, ensuring that people engage in activism and otherwise in a civil manner. Um, welcome aboard Politics and Right. John, how you doing? Thanks, Egberto. I'm doing pretty good. Well, you, you kind of uh, shocked me a few, a few days ago with an email that you sent me as a 
consummate progressive, one of the things that I believe in is that we ought to give some sort of a student loan forgiveness. And the, to be blunt, for me, I, I thought across the board made a lot of sense. I think uh, you took exception to that and you also wrote, an, or rather you, 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 you part, passed an article that sort of gave you some concern. So why don't you kind of lay out the scenario for me and then we'll take it from there. Yeah, so I know this is a big, big part of the progressive agenda is student loan forgiveness. Um, and I just don't think, I mean, I'm progressive, as you know, um, and I like to look long term at the chances for a progressive agenda. And I don't think student loan forgiveness is useful or valuable in gaining the votes of people that have left the progressive side of politics. Um, I think part of what we have to do is look at the facts about student loan debt, because we tend to hear examples or horror stories. The kid who graduates from college with $100,000 in student loan debt. But when you look at the facts, half of all undergraduates graduate with less than $20,000. And undergraduate degrees, to earn an undergraduate degree is about 75% of all the students that take out student loans, but they're only about half the debt that is accumulated. Half of the debt the other half of the debt is accumulated by people getting graduate and professional degrees. They're the ones that are getting the big debt, med school, law school, MBAs, pharmacy doctors, nursing students. Um, those are the ones that tend to accumulate over $20,000 in debt. Um, and they're paid when they get out of school, they're paid in a way that allows them to pay back the debt. So I think that's one problem. It's a transfer of wealth up from the working class. And I think when the working class, with all the issues they're dealing with, when progressives are proposing a program that's gonna transfer wealth up to the wealthier, to the doctors, to the lawyers. That's not a way to win working class votes. 6% of student loan borrowers owe one third of all the debt. Okay, 6% owe one third. So that's a real problem. The other thing I think we have to think about is what sort of message are we sending? Um, as you know, I've been firmly against for-profit colleges. I think Absolutely. they, yeah. yeah, they take advantage of people. Well, for-profit colleges, half their students graduate with more than $40,000 in student debt. So we're essentially subsidizing for-profit colleges a second time as opposed to public or private not-for-profit colleges. Um, so I just think there's other ways to attack the problem rather than a blanket, we're forgiving all student debt. Clearly, one and a half trillion dollars of student debt is an issue. 
But for most college graduates, the debt levels are manageable and there's ways to deal with it without making it a transfer of wealth to the well-educated. Earlier on, uh, when we discussed this, you gave an example, and it wasn't even an example with a rich kid. It was an example with maybe a poor to middle-class kid that really irked you. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit about that so that people can see that you're not coming from a position of, uh, well, I don't want to help the, the, the student who can't go to school, but we just need to do it in a manner where it's not a transfer of wealth. So, yeah, I teach at a community college, and clearly this is not the rule for community college students, but I see a number of students that use student loan debt to subsidize their lifestyle. So one of my students was talking about his new gaming computer that he had bought, $4,000. I said, how'd you afford that? And he smiled and said, student loans just came through. They were just released. Um, I've had other students that have gotten apartments by themselves, no roommates, and paid for it with student loans. Or they use their student loans on a down, down payment for a new car. So I think a lot of times young people sort of see student loans as free money. They don't think about the backside of repaying it. And they, use, they take out what they can and subsidize their living arrangements and subsidize their lifestyle. Um, I've had other students that have taken out student, student loans to go on study abroad programs. And those are not the kinds of things that are essential to a college degree. Now, uh, wouldn't you say, however, though, that uh, we do want to have uh, that maybe what, what, you, what you're asking in the in rather going forward is that we are more responsible in the way we award student loans. Uh, and then uh, but on the back end, we have to find a way to mitigate what we've done wrong in the way that we put out the loans. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think we need to reform higher education without a doubt. Um, college is becoming increasingly difficult for working class people to attain and to pay for. You know, we've all seen the charts about the inflation and college tuition. Um, How true? Let let me let me stop you there because that that is an important point. How true is it that we have inflation in education versus states? given corporations breaks that otherwise would have gone to fund education? Well, so I think it's a multi-layered problem. Colleges used to be subsidized. State colleges used to be subsidized at a much higher level by states. Right. And a lot of that public spending has gone away. Um, But also, there's been inflation in the costs of college generally and in the tuition of colleges that doesn't take into account. That's sort of besides the, the point of state funding. So private colleges, I went to University of Tulsa. As an undergraduate, I think my tuition was about $3,000. It's now about $40,000. I would never be able to go to that school today 
um, on a middle class income. Now, why is it forty thousand dollars? Let, let's stick to that one that you particularly know of. Tulsa was three thousand for you back in the eighties, and now we are in the twenties, twenty twenties. It's forty thousand. That is way over the rate of inflation. Uh, what's the reason for that? Well, there's a lot of reasons, um, and I'm not really. Uh, I'm not an expert on what University of Tulsa, of Tulsa has done in the last 40 years and how they've decided to spend their money. That is an example that illustrates a trend. Baylor's the same thing. Um, lots of Most private schools, their tuitions have gone up exponentially. Um, and I can send you a chart on inflation and higher education. So private schools were never... Um, subsidized by the states in the same way. But you could actually afford to go there with a Pell Grant and without much additional aid if you were a middle-class family. Um, but I think there's been, there have been a lot more gimmicks added to education. So when you and I went to college, we lived in a dorm room there was a phone at the end of the hall. Maybe you had cable TV for 50 bucks a month. Uh, maybe you had a car, although lots of my friends did not. Some did. Um, today, dorms are like apartments. There's a competition. There are luxury apartments now that cater to students. Um, I read something about LSU. They have a lazy river on campus <laughs> you gotta be kidding okay me. um so there's a lot of money being spent on those kinds of things i think also there's a lot of sort of administrative bloat any administrator whether it's in the federal government or a corporation or a college their self-interest is to grow their particular this message is sponsored by amazon to get back to kissing the cheeks of my grandbabies making sunday dinner with a house full of family and lots of laughs <laughs> covid19 has changed how we live and how we feel but now there are vaccines it's okay to have questions now get the facts visit getvaccineanswers.org so you can make an informed decision about covid19 vaccines it's up to you brought to you by the ad council Try the new Big Sky Burger at Roy Rogers. It's Smithfield pulled pork, beer battered onion rings, American cheese, and spicy barbecue sauce on a Kaiser bun. Have a cowboy kind of day at Roy's. Ain't no way you're going wrong. DoorDash and Uber Eats available at participating restaurants. Unit in budget, personnel, and responsibility. That's how they become more important within the framework of an administrative hierarchy. So I think there's been a lot of money spent on that. I think there's a lot of money spent on recruiting top-notch professors that often do not teach. I think there's a lot of money spent paying administrators. Um, so when I, in the 70s and 80s, it was typical that a college president would be a faculty member that would serve for a few years. 
and then go back to the to teaching and a new pre- president would come in now college fa- college presidents are often retired politicians retired generals and they're paid commensurately so you know ut had uh mcraven was their chancellor mm-hmm. um Lawrence Summers left Obama or went to Harvard and was the president. Donna Shalala at University of Miami. So there's a lot of examples like that of non-academic people coming in and running colleges and their priorities are different. So I think what you're saying then, um, for it, it turns out that uh, in as much as let's say you give us the anecdotal star, uh, uh, stories of what you, what young people have done with student loans, uh, what would your, and I know you have to just pull it off the top of your head, you're in the field, you talk to a whole lot of students, you have thousands of students you go, you've gone through, what would be your thoughts as far as percentage of people who really misuse student loans. I'm not talking about the price of college, but I'm talking about outright misuse of college loans. I don't think it's most students that willfully misuse student loans. Mm -hmm. I think what happens is college, colleges sell a life that what you're going to be able to do here during the four years, and there's a lot of competition for that. Um, So they have all sorts of sort of fringe benefits that they try to sell students on. Fancier dorm rooms, the Lazy River, a top sports program that all take money away from the primary academic pursuits. So I think that's a part of it that has led to higher costs. And then students are more than happy to borrow money to go to those particular schools. Um, I think higher education has lost some of its uh, focus on education and has gotten into too many auxiliary things. The other thing that happens is... Uh, Time out. Uh, When you say that that they've gotten into too many auxiliary things, what are we talking about? Football and the others or... Well, yeah, all sorts of sports, most of which for most schools are money losers. I think all the accoutrement of lazy rivers and great gyms and things that are a lot of glitz, but aren't part of the essential academic pursuits. And one thing that's happened is that full-time faculty at most research universities don't teach much because they're supposed to research. Um, So a lot of that teaching is left to graduate students that are very cheap or poorly paid or adjuncts that are poorly paid. Um, I mean, higher education is a very valuable thing. Estimates are that if you have a bachelor's degree, you'll earn a million dollars more than somebody that doesn't over the course of your lifetime. So there's a value in higher education. The question becomes, how do you make it affordable and at the same time prevent abuse? And part of that is for-profit colleges are a big part of the problem. Um, Part of it is people need to think about college as sort of 
as I tell my students, you have your whole life to live. You'll have plenty of time to buy things. You'll have plenty of time for the new car or the great computer. You'll have plenty of time to have a nice apartment. During college, give up some of those things because if you don't, if you borrow money now to live a little better, you'll end up living worse later because you'll have to pay it all back. And that's a message that really has to be sent to young people. Um, There's some ways to deal with this problem. I mean, we need to increase grants to students going to school. We could provide, because another problem is a lot of students take out loans and then don't graduate, okay? Mm -hmm. So rather than giving loans by the semester, give grants and then provide graduation incentives or if you're successful at the end of the semester, your next semester's tuition gets paid for. Um, Some things like that. And I'm not completely opposed to forgiving some student debt. I think we could do a tiered system by income. So people that graduate from college and are making under say $40,000 a year could have a percentage of their debt um, forgiven every year. There's some ways like with AmeriCorps or Peace Corps where you can get some of your debt forgiven. Even professionals like lawyers can get a lot of that debt forgiven. So my sister-in-law is a DA, assistant DA. And the reason she became an assistant DA, and I've had some other students do this instead of going to a big law firm, is because she had a lot of student debt. And by going to work for the DA's office, she gets a certain amount forgiven every year. Um, So in 10 years of working for the DA, she'll have her student loan completely gone in addition to paying for it, paying some every month. Um, So there's some ways to do that. Um, Part of the problem is that student loans have become a big moneymaker. For who? For For banks and student loan corporations. So they can give you a loan to go to school, it's guaranteed by the federal government, so there is no risk. And they get to charge interest on that loan. And the federal government pays the interest while you're in school. And when you graduate, if you don't pay it back, the federal government reimburses the people that loaned you the money. And if you consolidate loans, because there's not only Stafford loans, there's also Um, which are subsidized, there's also unsubsidized loans. If you consolidate those, then it changes the interest rate, and there are huge consequences for that. Right. Um, So there's some ways to deal with that. I think, for instance, federal government should become the direct lender on all loans and make them interest-free. That's not a problem. But my fundamental issue is this issue of transferring wealth upwards. And remember, Democrats lost because of the rural vote and white working class vote. 
And many of those people, they're simply never going to go to college. They don't consider it essential. They don't consider it part of their worldview or their goals in life. And we're not going to get any of those votes to the progressive cause by eliminating student loan debt. A far better way to do it is to adopt programs that ensure increased wages for the working class at the expense of that top 1%. Now, um, let, me, let me give a, a, a counter argument and tell me where this one fails in your view. Um, your, your tenet, of course, is that people who get college degrees most, according to the article, though, it, it shows you that people who get AA degrees or BA degrees in, in certain, in certain um, fields, they don't even make enough money to pay back their debt. But um, given that what we, we think is that, or not what we know is that most people who go to college make um, more money, isn't that increase in marginal tax rates uh, a, a sort of a payback to society, even if it's forgiven? Um, that would be true if we actually had increasing marginal tax rates. But our tax system has been so gutted mm -hmm. that today the wealthiest 1% pay a lower tax rate than the poorest 10% of all taxes combined. Yeah, now I, I got that, but let me, let me ask it a, a different way though. If we were to have an equitable system where your income justify, you see, m my thing is uh, we, we're, we have student debt because colleges are expenses, college expensive, colleges are expensive, one for uh, private schools that rip, rip us off pretty much and private schools that are bloated. Uh, it, it seems to me like we have to fix both of those problems and then find some way to guarantee that everybody can get a bachelor's degree. Uh, and to, to put in, in, my, in my thought process, just like high school uh, once wasn't afforded to most, um, shouldn't college be afforded to most from the general, let's say the general um, purse? Well, there's, I think, I, I agree with you, basically, um, but there's ways to do that, and by forgiving student loans, you're not affording college to most. Right. I, I, no, I mean, I think, you've made, I think you've already made the case for that. Not only, I mean, and not only for rich people, I think you've made the case because it, 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 it shows that the way it could be used is, could be abusive for those who desire to make it abusive. And, you know, so, I mean, it seems like this is a multi- multi-step, multi-angle approach that needs to be taken towards our student debt problem. Something that I don't think you have in places like uh, like uh, Germany or even, let's say, Denmark, where you have to prove that you're worthy, that you're going to do the work to go to school, right. and go to college, etc. Yeah, I think a lot of European countries have a sort of track system in, co in high school where you get into the college track versus a technical or workforce right. track. Right. I think that sort of runs against the grain of American notions that anybody can be anything, the sort of American dream idea. Um, however, we can adapt some of those within our context. A lot of kids simply don't want to go to college. Right. 
And if there are more good jobs available, then kids wouldn't feel forced to go to college. I think forcing everyone to go to college turns it into, well, it sort of dilutes the value of college. But everybody that wants to go to college is willing to sacrifice and work hard to be successful in college should be able to get out of college without a bunch of debt. I think that's a magical phrase right there. And I think the way you have to do that is, first of all, not everybody can go to the college that they choose, that they want to, okay? Um, Community college, at the very minimum, should be free, paid for by tax dollars completely. Students would still have a cost in buying books um, and paying a few miscellaneous fees, but tuition is the bulk of the cost. And right now with Pell Grants, most students can go to community college with no out-of-pocket cost. Um, Then the question becomes, how do you go on to a bachelor's? Um, I was talking with a student just this week, he's looking at $7,000 a semester for tuition and fees at one of our local Houston four-year colleges. It's a state school, um, and he doesn't have that kind of money. He'll get $2,500 in Pell Grants, $2,750 in Pell Grants, but he's still got to come up with almost $5,000 and living expenses. So I would say that we do something like the GI Bill for students. Veterans come, they have living expenses paid for, they get their tuition paid, and we could create a program like the GI Bill for all all students. And there would be some conditions attached um, and simply get rid of the notion of student loans altogether. I agree with that. I agree with that. Well, uh, hey, John, tell me something that you would have liked me to ask you that I didn't ask you before we close out. Um, I would have liked to have spent more time talking about the problem of for-profit schools. Please go ahead. Well, I think education fundamentally should be a not-for-profit enterprise. Um, When people make money on it, it opens up all sorts of problems. Um, And we see that with half, I believe half the uh, student loans go to, half the students who owe more than $40,000 have gone to for-profit schools. The default rates on for-profit schools are two to three times what they are for other types of colleges. Um, So I really think we need to make, get that information out that for-profit schools are a bad idea. Dr. John J. Theis, uh, professor at Lone Star College and the coordinator, director of the Center of Civic Engagement at Lone Star College, thank you so kindly for having been here on Politics Done Right. Well, thank you, Egberto. We... 
Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed Dr. Thais. He had a whole lot to say. Now, um, please remember, folks, if you want to support what we do here, if you are on YouTube right now, click that join button and become a member of our YouTube posse. That is what we need you to do. Please become a member of our YouTube posse. If you're not on YouTube right now, you can still become a member of our YouTube posse by going to the link I just placed in there, politicsdoneright.com. Again, that is politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. If you go to politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube, you can become a part of our posse. Folks, uh, please do remember as well, that book that you see on up there is a book that we want to make sure a lot of you get because we are only going to change this world if we also bring along others. So please remember to go to uh, get the book, It's Worth It, How to Talk to Your Right Wing uh, Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors. And you can get that at, uh, at Amazon. And how do you get it at Amazon? Here is the link for you. I've just sent it into the system. Check out that link and get that new book. How to, uh, it's worth it, how to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors. Believe me, I've had to do it myself. But of course, we also want you to join our Patreon, become a patron of Politics Done Right via the Patreon network. That is at politicsdoneright.com slash patron. Patron is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Again, that is P-A-T-R-E-O-N, politicsdoneright.com slash patrons. And alternatively, we still, and everybody still loves good old PayPal. You can give PayPal one time or you can join it as a sequence as well politicsunright.com slash PayPal. Look, I know you guys have a lot of places that you can be, but you're here with me. I thank you so kindly. Blair Halfley, welcome aboard. Mark Smith, welcome aboard. Bridge MCP, welcome aboard. Michael Rutnin, welcome aboard. Nanette Bird-Smith, welcome aboard. Mark Smith, Christine Park, Penny Winslow, Gaber Owner 6969, what's that all about? Lee Grant, Jacoby G, AVQ Tank 28, Jorin Efstat Few, Barbara Godin, Felicia Schoenberg. We were filled up people. I don't have you all, but I tell you what, folks, thank you so kindly for being with us. Please remember the way we are going to make this change. You got to share, share, share. What again? What, what, what do you need to do again? Share. So once all of that is done, we are going to change America. ¿Qué vamos a hacer? Vamos a cambiar América en la forma en que debe ser. Este país. We are going to change this country to the way it should be. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you know, normally I'll have boom. And after we have the boom, we have the music to get out. Well, I'm going to be very honest with you guys. In preparing for the show, I forgot to put the intro and the outro. So I won't have it today, but I'll have it tomorrow. You know, we all we do here, we don't try to f- find excuses here. We just tell you the way it is. Thank you so kindly for having been here. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics and Right. And guess how I end this, baby? I am what? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join. This message is sponsored by Amazon. 
want to get back to kissing the cheeks of my grandbabies, making Sunday dinner with a house full of family and lots of laughs. <laughs> COVID-19 has changed how we live and how we feel, but now there are vaccines. It's okay to have questions. Now get the facts. Visit GetVaccineAnswers.org so you can make an informed decision about COVID-19 vaccines. It's up to you. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This message is sponsored by Amazon. I want to get back to kissing the cheeks of my grandbabies, making Sunday dinner with a house full of family and lots of laughs. <laughs> COVID-19 has changed how we live and how we feel, but now there are vaccines. It's okay to have questions. Now get the facts. Visit GetVaccineAnswers.org so you can make an informed decision about COVID-19 vaccines. It's up to you. Brought to you by the Ad Council.